Hey, it's Dana. Welcome to a special edition of the Web 2.5 podcast. Last week, I talked with Zeneca, the founder of Zen Labs, an educational company that is working to onboard billions more into Web 3. Today's episode is part two in our two-part series, and it's a bit different from our usual format. On this show, I'm going to ask Zeneca to explain some of the most used terms in Web3 using very simple terms. We'll cover both the what and the so what of the blockchain, tokens, and more specifically, NFTs. We'll talk about minting, smart contracts, DeFi, crypto, the metaverse, artificial intelligence, DAOs, and of course, Web3. We'll also cover terms like FOMO, GM, and shilling. Whether you're a newbie or an OG, I hope you enjoy our show this week. Feel free to refer back to it over time as we cover these topics on new episodes, or forward it to a friend who is looking to learn more too. Now, on to the show. Welcome to Web 2.5. I'm your host, Dana Hort. I've heard from listeners and readers of our newsletter too that folks are craving more education. Maybe you're new to the space and you want to learn what all of this is about and why it matters. Maybe you're already here in Web3 and you want to deepen your knowledge or just find better ways to explain it to others. So I have a very special guest today to help us do that. Please welcome Zeneca, one of the leading minds in the world of Web3. He's the founder of Zen Academy, a community aimed at building a safe and welcoming space for anyone, anywhere, at any level to learn about Web3 and NFTs. He's also behind a series of media initiatives, including several podcasts, his own Twitter account, a YouTube channel, newsletters, and more. He's a highly sought-after advisor and consultant to projects, a rabid NFT collector, and across his various initiatives, he's on a mission to help people learn more about the world of Web3. So we're very lucky to have him here with us today to help educate us on both the what and the so what of Web3. So with that, welcome Zeneca. Oh, wow. What an incredible intro. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. And I could, I mean, I could talk about NFTs, Web3 for hours and hours. So this is an educational episode, which if I've accomplished one thing today, it was coming up with a clever title for it. Hmm. I'm calling it Zeneca Explains It All, which for anyone not familiar with 90s television, there was a TV show called Clarissa Explains It All. So those of us that are my age will find this title amusing. And for those of us that are not, we'll have no idea, but that's neither here nor there. So I've got Zeneca here in the hot seat, and we're going to go through together a series of topics. And I'm going to ask you, generally speaking, two questions about each one of them. What is it? And what's the so what? So the what is it in the simplest terms, like you're explaining it to a parent or a grandparent or a friend. And then the so what of it? Why does it matter? Maybe you can share a use case, a case study, and why people should even be paying attention. How does that sound? That sounds great. I generally tend to give long answers. So you're going to have to cut me off if I'm spending half an hour on the very first question. You're like, what is it? I'm just going on and on. But I'll try to keep them as, as succinct as possible. All right. So we will we will manage to that. I, I don't have music here like they do on the Oscars to play you off the stage, <laughs> but I'll, I'll yeah. let you know if you're going a little bit long. So with that, I will just jump in. I thought the first term to talk about is the foundation of all of this, the blockchain. What is the blockchain? The blockchain or a blockchain is effectively a distributed network of computers all around the world that all run a public ledger of transactions. Say you're running a shop, this person bought this item for this amount of money, and then you just keep a record of transactions. So you have that for your bookkeeping purposes. A blockchain is basically a public version of that where the entire world, effectively, everyone taking part in it works to ensure that there's one version of truth, one singular truth. And so that way, 
it just opens up all these amazing possibilities. And how would you describe the so what of the blockchain? Like what is so special about having a public ledger? What does it enable you to do that you couldn't do before? It's a lot, but I think it allows you to transact permissionlessly and trustlessly with somebody else or another party. And so what this means is that effectively, I mean, a, a good example is escrow for a house. Currently, if you want to buy a house and someone wants to sell a house, you agree to some terms and then you say, all right, I'm going to put whatever, $300,000, $500,000 in escrow and we are paying for this service and this money is locked up. And then like there's this transition period and then the, the escrow ends and the money goes from the buyer to the seller. And that's expensive and costs time and requires trusting the third party, the escrow party. And it's expensive because you have to be able to trust them and all that kind of stuff. With blockchain technology, you can effectively eliminate that by trusting the blockchain. And it gets into sort of nuance and technical details, but that's the crux of it. That's one of the really great ways is just it's all permissionless and trustless and it eliminates third parties and middlemen or the need for them largely. Okay, next topic tokens. I think a lot of people ask about NFTs. They might not realize that the T stands for token. Can you talk a little bit about tokens, both fungible and non-fungible? So a, a token is basically just, it kind of represents anything. A token, like you think in the real world, what's a token? It can be kind of a token, anything. In the crypto space, there's two main types of tokens, fungible and non-fungible. And fungible basically just means the same. So Examples of tokens that are effectively fungible, Bitcoin could be considered a fungible token. Ethereum or Ether could be considered a fungible token. Any other currency on the Ethereum blockchain would be considered a fungible token. And by that, I mean, like, let's say you sent me one Bitcoin, I send you one Bitcoin. No one wins or loses. We both have the exact same end result. Similarly, just in the real world, if I gave you a $10 bill and you gave me a $10 bill, it's like same result. The example I always give for non-fungible is if, you know, I gave you my dog and you gave me your dog, well, then we'll both be sad and, and both be with different dogs. And like dogs are non-fungible, money is fungible. In the crypto space, you have non-fungible tokens and fungible tokens. Fungible ones are your currencies, your assets that are all the same. Non-fungible ones is basically everything else. So it could represent digital art. It could be collectibles. It could be a gaming asset and many, many more things. I want to double click on NFTs or non-fungible tokens. This is probably the question I get asked most often, which is not only what are they, but what are the use cases? So maybe you can answer the question when you buy an NFT, like what are you buying? And what are the use cases for NFTs that you're most excited about? So what you're actually buying, it varies infinitely. So non-fungible token can kind of represent anything. At its core, you're buying a digital asset or a digital representation of an asset. And as our lives move more and more into the digital space and the sphere as time goes on, it becomes more and more important to be able to buy and sell and trade openly digital assets. So we've lived in this world for a long time, a few decades, where as time's gone on, people have become more accustomed to buying digital assets. I think the most common example is probably video games, people buying skins or weapons or, you know, microtransactions and things like that. And it's always been sort of a one-way transaction where you buy it from a company and then they take your money and you get the thing and you use it for a while and then you're done with it and that's it. NFTs using a public blockchain allow you to buy these digital assets 
but then you have full ownership over them. So you can, if you decide, you can resell them. You can send them elsewhere. And that sort of unlocks a lot of power and potential. And so what these NFTs could be, what are you actually buying? It could be an in-game asset if you're playing a video game. It could be digital art. And I think that's a really good example because, for instance, up until now, if someone was a digital artist trying to sell their work, it was very difficult. So let's say you're an animator and you create you know, 3D animations. The only real way to monetize that previously would be to work for usually a large animation studio or something like that. And then you're beholden to them and they get ownership over your work. And as an artist, you don't really have the creativity to create and sell your work. With NFTs, you can now create something that is a beautiful work of art and then mint it, sell it via the blockchain and someone can buy it, someone can collect it and own your creation and you can monetize based on that. So art is a big use case that people are buying with NFTs today, but in the future, it will be literally everything. You can think of like tickets to sporting events or music concerts. Currently, they are QR codes, an email, maybe a paper ticket that you pay. You go to Ticketmaster and then you pay a nineteen ninety five Ticketmaster fee and then a seven ninety five website fee and then a four ninety five you know transfer fee. All these fees and and you get something that is still not ideal and temporary. And and with NFTs, you can get sort of a ticket that a will the process will eliminate transaction fees or drastically reduce them. And B, it could be a piece of art that's your ticket. It could be a piece of memorabilia. It could be a ticket stub that you hold on forever. And yeah, there's a lot. One of the terms that you mentioned in describing an NFT was minting. Can you tell us what minting is? Yes. So minting is basically the process, kind of like people know when you mint money, when you mint cash, the cash printers, it's a minting press, basically. It's a similar concept, but using a blockchain. So when an NFT is first created, it's minted. So usually it happens at the time of purchase. If you go and buy something, you could say you're minting it from the person selling it to you. But sometimes a creator will mint it themselves. Like I could, like an artist could mint their own work and that's minting it onto the blockchain and then they could sell it at a future date. So minting and selling sometimes are together or sometimes separately. But at its core, minting it is just like the act of creating it on the blockchain. What is a smart contract? So a smart contract is basically a piece of code that is designed to interact with the blockchain and that's kind of it and you can create them to do and be many 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 things and so using the escrow example from earlier you could create a smart contract that says all right when person a transfers the house to person b uh this five hundred thousand dollars will be transferred from the smart contract to person a and you can effectively program them to do many, many things. One of the, the biggest use cases today is DeFi. And I'm sure we'll get into that later, but you can use them for um, decentralized finance. And effectively, you can use smart contracts to bank in a way that eliminates banking fees and improves that entire ecosystem. That's a perfect segue. So let's jump into some of the more financial pieces. DeFi, what is DeFi or decentralized finance? Yeah, so DeFi stands for decentralized finance. And it's exactly what you think of, or maybe not if you haven't thought about it, but at the moment when it comes to banking, there are a lot of fees involved. There's transaction fees, there's overdraft fees. And when it comes to getting a return on your money, say in a savings account, the way that works is you give, a lot of people give money to a bank. The bank will use that money to give loans to other people and or invest it themselves and then take a percentage of the revenue that they're getting and give that back to the people in their saving accounts. And, but banks have, massive overheads. They have staff to pay. They have buildings to own or rent. 
They have websites to run. They have tons of infrastructure. And that means that the percentage of savings that can be passed on to customers they want to save with a bank are usually very low and minimal. And with DeFi decentralized, you're effectively eliminating the bank and the management, like just the management fees and everything involved, and instead using a series of smart contracts to run the entire thing. And the fees go drastically down. So now people can borrow and lend and save money at much better rates than through traditional banking methods. And to me, it's, it's probably one of the largest, it's probably the best use case we have today of cryptocurrency and smart contracts in the real world. And it accounts for, I think, the, the vast majority of crypto activity today. This may be obvious, but what is crypto? We didn't really mm. talk about what, what is crypto specifically. So tell us what crypto is. Yes. Crypto uh, is short for cryptocurrency. And so it's basically what most people think of as these digital currencies, blockchain, Ethereum, Solana. The reason it's called cryptocurrency is because they're basically, the way that they were invented and derived is by using cryptographic proofs. So like this branch of mathematics called cryptography, uh, you use computers to solve cryptographic problems. And it sort of creates this interesting ecosystem where the, the currencies are only created based on this these cryptographic mathematical proof. So you're not relying on a central bank to mint. You can't have the US government printing more and creating inflation. It's all very mathematical, computational, and predetermined and very public. So everyone knows, all right, this is the supply of this currency in circulation. All right, every year there's going to be this much coming out. And you can have a better way to sort of attribute value to it based on that. And on top of cryptocurrency, all of this other stuff has sort of evolved. Okay, so I want to jump to some of the other aspects of, of Web3 broadly. So the metaverse. What is the metaverse and why does it matter? Mm. Yeah, this is a maybe slightly contentious thing because I think different people have different definitions and views on what the metaverse is. A popular view these days is the metaverse is like any of these digital worlds that people are building where people will sort of be in virtual reality and you know exist and live in and that's one example and so like some of the bigger companies building that are like the sandbox decentraland uh meta facebook is building their metaverse and at its essence it's like these virtual digital worlds i personally believe that the metaverse is any virtual space that you exist in and so by that definition we have been in the metaverse for many, many years and decades already. People playing video games are already in a metaverse. Basically, people interacting via social media, Twitter, they're using digital devices to interact in a virtual space. And I think that's kind of the metaverse, but everyone has different definitions. At its crux, it's like a virtual world or space that exists as a layer on top of our like physical world. What are some of the use cases for the metaverse that you're most excited about? Oh, this is, there's so many use cases I'm excited about. I think the ones that most people go to are the default are like gaming and that's fun and like, it's great to be able to game. But a couple that I'm really excited about that are maybe less spoken about is education, obviously a big one. I'm a huge proponent of education. And I think that currently access to educational resources and tools is somewhat restricted to geographic location. You know, now a lot more educational institutes are putting courses and stuff online for self-learning. They'll put their lectures online, but it's not exactly interactive. And I think that building out virtual metaverse spaces for classrooms and 
educational material means that anyone in the world will now have access to teachers and educators that they would have been very unlikely to have access to. And so you can imagine someone living, say, in rural Africa or even rural Australia, rural America, maybe they have to travel 60 minutes, 90 minutes to get to the closest school. That school doesn't have much in the way of resources. It's one classroom. Now, instead of having them travel to that school, you can bring the school to them. Whereas maybe a headset or a pair of glasses or an internet connection is all that it takes to be in this immersive virtual environment where they can interact with teachers and ask questions and have that back and forth and communicate with other students. And I think that is a really great use case. The other one I've heard spoken about even less is therapy. And I think that so many people need therapy and the number of people in therapy is increasing every year, but it's expensive and it's difficult and it can be anxiety inducing to even find a therapist and to go to a therapist. And a lot of people don't want to leave their house. And so now we've seen like online therapy services come up where you could have a phone call or a video call with people. And I think virtual reality will just increase that area and even more niche going even deeper and niche within a niche this is something i think about on a personal level uh i am deathly arachnophobic i hate spiders i can't one of the best ways to overcome that is immersion therapy and so like having spiders actually crawl over you and like that terrifies me but imagine a world where you put on a headset and now virtually you have the spiders crawling over you so you're getting the immersion therapy but at the same time you can know in your brain this is not real so you get the best of both worlds. And I think that is really cool. So I think we're going to see some really interesting use cases like that. And that's very niche, but I think that it just goes to show that anything is possible in a virtual world. That's fascinating. I got nervous thinking about spiders crawling all over me in the metaverse. So yeah. I'm just trying to get there without my computer freezing, let alone have spiders crawl over me. But it's, <laughs> it's good to think about. All right. Artificial intelligence. What's AI? Artificial intelligence. Wow. It's kind of exactly what it sounds like. So it's I don't even know how to describe it. Artificial intelligence is when code is basically attempting to act like a human being. So humans, creatures, like animals are intelligent at various degrees. You know, humans, we would say, are the most intelligent animal. We've got dogs, cats, dolphins, and, and so many other animals that are at varying different degrees of intelligence. Artificial intelligence is humanity's way of trying to use computers to recreate the intelligence of humans. And in some instances far exceed it and so maybe really the most basic and simple and one of the first forms of artificial intelligence was probably a calculator so a calculator can do computational problems way better than almost any human on earth and faster and you just use that to help you because instead of sitting down with paper and pen and figuring stuff out and trying to do like complex math problems now you can use this calculator this piece of artificial intelligence to help you as the years and decades have gone on as technology has increased, the artificial intelligence has increased as well. And the level of intelligence has increased. So it used to be calculators and then like Excel spreadsheets and then computers doing more things. And now we're reaching this point where we have what's called machine learning, where you use these complex algorithms and databases and extreme computing power to have computers basically learn from themselves and teach themselves really advanced, sophisticated things. And you can effectively train them by inputting any sort of data set. So yeah, it's really scary where we are now. You can have artificial intelligence that creates really good poetry because you've trained it on, you can feed in all, like input all of the poetry books in humanity. And now it like learns from them and it gets really scary, but it's really intelligent where artificial intelligence is. And it can do kind of anything already where it can be used to 
create art or podcasts even like i've seen podcasts based on artificial intelligence so yeah it's scary artificial intelligence is scary that's my answer okay my last topic um DAOs. Can you tell us a decentralized autonomous organization? Can you tell us what a DAO is and what some of the use cases are for DAOs? Yeah, DAOs are fascinating to me. They are, all right, decentralized autonomous organization. So they can kind of be anything. An organization can be a company. It can be just a community. It could be basically anything. And by decentralized and autonomous, it means that there's no individual central authority deciding what happens. So in a regular company, you have a CEO, maybe a board of directors, and they make the decisions and everything else sort of flows down. And it's very hierarchical. DAOs are flat in their structure, basically. And so you could have a DAO of 100 people. Each person gets one vote and it's very democratic. And they get to decide what decisions are made. Maybe there's a treasury. Maybe like DAOs are generally created with a purpose in mind or a central vision. And together, the the members of the DAO make decisions. And because of blockchain technology and the way that it allows people to transparently vote and interact with each other in this decentralized way, it's sort of been this thing that's really taking the world by storm now or taking the crypto world by storm. And all sorts of DAOs are coming up and being experimented with. I would say... DAOs aren't exclusive to crypto and they've sort of, I think there there are examples of DAOs that have existed before. A good example that I heard is Alcoholics Anonymous, which is sure it was created by a person or a couple of people and they ran the first one, but now it's all community run, community volunteer driven all around the world. There's no central company being like, oh, we're going to open up an AA meeting in this country or the city. It's all very decentralized, it's autonomous, and it all just happens around the world. And so it's like that type of thing, except crypto enables and enhances it. And some of the voting or decision making can happen what they call on chain, right? It's visible using the blockchain so that the decisions or the votes are all public record, right? Yeah, that's one of the most powerful things. It's all transparent. So in traditional companies, most people have no idea of the financials until quarterly or annual reports, and then they go back and see. And even then, it's not clear why decisions were made or who made the decisions and how the decisions were made. And I think with DAOs, you can, again, do it all public, transparently on a blockchain. You can see where the flow of funds is going. You can see who voted for what. And it's, uh, it's just a lot more transparent. Okay, a few quick fun terms, and then we're going to wrap this up. FOMO. What's FOMO in the context of Web3? FOMO stands for fear of missing out. And in Web3, it usually refers to the fact that there are a lot of opportunities where people are making a lot of money in the space. There's also a lot of opportunities where people are losing a lot of money, except those don't get spoken about. And people tend to focus on all the times people make tons of money. And if they see people on social media talking about, hey, I just made $10,000, $100,000, people are like, oh, I want that. I I don't want to miss out on the next opportunity that comes along and that causes people to FOMO in or like make a decision based on that fear, which usually is not a good idea. Okay. GM. What's GM? GM stands for good morning. It's basically a meme, a greeting, a way that people in the NFT space and the crypto space have decided to just greet each other. It's like our native hello. It's GM. Shell. What does it mean to shell? Shill has a, it's basically marketing, promoting. It's got a negative connotation because this is a larger topic, but generally in the crypto space, paid marketing and paid promotion has a very negative connotation because the vast majority of that that has existed until now has been scammers and people sort of trying to manipulate people out of their money. And so they got called shillers. And so shilling is now associated with marketing, generally your own thing. Marketing your own thing is obviously not that negative, but I think 
shilling is more of a negative connotated version of it. And my last question, I almost forgot to ask you the most important one. So I've used, obviously, the show is called Web 2.5 to represent the intersection between Web 2 and Web 3. I've been using Web 3 as sort of the catch-all term for all of these various terms, whether it's NFTs, DAOs, Metaverse, et cetera. How do you define Web 3? So I define Web 3 by looking at what Web 2 and Web 1 mean. So Web 1 was the first version of the internet where you could read content. People would have a website, you'd go there, but you couldn't really interact with it. It was you would just read. And then Web2 came along and you could now all of a sudden write to the internet. You could read it, but you'd also add to it. You could post on social media. You could have a blog. And so Web2 was this emergence of social media where it's reading, but also writing and interacting. Web3 takes it a step further and adds this ownership layer. So Web1 is read. Web2 is read and write. Web3 is read, write, and own. Got it. I could go on and on, but we could be here for hours if we do that. So I wanted to thank you so much, Seneca, for your time. This was great. I know this is going to help a lot of people have the confidence to know what some of these terms mean and the ability to explain it to others uh, once they learn it themselves. So thank you so much for doing this. This was great. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And at the risk of shilling my own thing, <laughs> this is a free thing, though. We recently released a course called 30 Days of NFTs, and you can find it at 30daysofnfts.com. And it's a free email course where over the course of 30 days, we introduce some of these terms bit by bit. And actually every single day, we, it's like a three to five minute read about what is an NFT, what is a blockchain. And at the end, we have terminology that we break it down. So it's sort of like this episode, but a longer term thing with, with more content. Got it. Well, I hope people check it out. I know if there was a place to go to, to get up to speed, your community would be absolutely one of the first places I would go. So I hope people check it out. Thank you so much for giving us a taste of that today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you so much. I appreciate it as well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Web 2.5. If you liked our show, please hit subscribe so you can get alerts and updates when we post new content. Thank you so much. See you next time.